Welcome to Spirit Behind the Screen. Each episode, your host, Marty McCurdy, deep dives on industry trends around high reliability electronics and the supply chain in aerospace and defense. This is episode 50 with Jim Kemmerling from Triad Semiconductor about their rad hard ASICs and VIA configurable array. to the podcast today, Spirit Electronics Behind the Screen. Today, I'm super thrilled to be with an old-time friend, actually, and colleague, uh, Jim Kimmerling of Triad Semiconductor. Jim, thanks so much for taking time to join us on the show. Thanks for having me. What we're going to talk about today is really, you and I haven't caught up now for a couple years on where Triad is in the rad hard space with your ASICs. And I know you've always had a great offering for that and have worked really hard to get the qualification going. So maybe if we could just pause for one second and kind of get a little bit of a history recap, uh, you and I, on you know what's happened, how did you survive the COVID, coming out the other side. I know you have a super strong uh, commercial fact that you and I both are, are rad hard uh, aerospace defense companies. So can you give us a little bit of an update of you know, what's happened and where you're at currently on the RADHARD process, how you got it qualified, what that state of affairs looks like. Yep, so Triad developed this array-based technology to do analog and mixed signal ASICs many years ago. And then more than 10 years ago, we started to try and make it RADHARD. The Missile Defense Agency and AFRL were behind that. Uh, coming to Triad, knowing we were doing things in the commercial sector and wanted to see that analog uh, array technology make it into the aerospace and defense community. We've been working with predominantly AFRL um, during the last 10 years, you know, developing it, proving it out, doing some, I would say, informal radiation testing. But then it finally came to the point where, well, we need to go through and follow the mill standard MILPERF 38535. And so we went down that path and AFRL was very supportive through that. We started that and I think our plan was to really begin qualification in late 2018, early 2019. We built all of our hardware, got everything ready to go. And then there was this new virus that just seemed to shut the world down that affected that ability to do that qualification substantially. We were planning to do single event effects testing at Berkeley. Berkeley literally closed. Even the total dose and and dose rate testing, we were going to use the facilities at Kirtland Air Force Base to do that. And we weren't allowed to go there. It actually ended up being early 2022 that we were able to get into Berkeley. MDA was very supportive there. They helped us get in um, because normally, I think, as you know, TAMU and Berkeley are booked to capacity all the time. They set up actually a program for smaller companies. It was called MDA High Tech. In any case, uh, they got us time. And, and so early 2022, we went out there and you know, it was kind of like, we're going to call you when there's a slot available, you need to come. So we got a week's notice that we had 24 hours one day and 16 hours the next day with a, like a eight hour gap in between. We grabbed all our stuff, flew it out there and we started our testing and we got through about 20 hours 
the people behind us said, hey, we're not going to need our eight-hour shift if you guys want to keep going. So we ended up going like 27, 28 straight hours and got all our testing done. It's been a long time since this old man had done anything that many hours in a row. Pulling it all night. Yeah. But we finished our single event effects testing and everything went extraordinarily well. You know, passed with flying colors. And, and then we followed it up with our dose rate, you know, total dose testing, and that all did very well too. So now we have a qualification report on our radiation hardened, you know, our first array, red hard array. You had always told me, Marty, that um, you need to get that data. You need to have that qualification report. And it is pretty interesting. All these customers that I've talked to over the last several years that have said, yeah, let me know when you get through qualification. Well, now when I send them a qual report, they're like, oh, good. Now we can sign an NDA and get going. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll ask you a few questions. It's good to catch up to see where you are, but you're right. Like the, you know, the, the flight heritage and all of the, you know, the RAD report, the qual report, you know, without that, there's really just, you know, maybe you and I out here saying, hey, uh, this really works. And they're like, oh, yeah, prove that, right? Glad you did. Uh, you mentioned MBA. We uh, were very fortunate to have some programs with them. Glad to hear that you are able to get some SEE time as well. Talk to us a little bit about, so you did 38535. Uh, give us a little bit of detail on what kind of dose rates, because I remember, you know, if my memory serves, you were really in some heavy dose rates, like in a one megarad. Is that is my memory right? Or well, the dose rate testing actually is much higher than that. Total dose is a megarad. Yeah, all our total ionizing dose testing, we take it up to a megarad. We've seen very solid performance. In other words, no degradation at all in performance up to 300 kilorads. But we test everything up to a megarad. There is definitely, you know, some things we notice at those high levels of total dose where its current starts to increase a little bit, which is expected, but, you know, everything's still functional. We've been able to show data, you know, where A to D converters have exactly the same performance at a megarad than they do with no radiation, things like that. We feel very comfortable marketing our devices as being 100% compliant with performance characteristics published in a data sheet up to 300 KRADs. There's also dose rate testing, which is high um, speed or very fast you know, burst of radiation normally, a lot of times done with flash x-ray, and we've also done that type of testing. And that isn't as important to the satellite people, but it's becoming increasingly important to the people that make munitions. It's a prompt dose effect, and maybe it's pretty obvious why that's starting to become more important. We're finding more customers wanting to see very good prompt dose or dose rate test numbers. We've tested up to 4E to the 9 rads per second. And we actually have customers that would like us to go higher than that. Um, we've never had any failures. That would be what's called dose rate latch up. We've never had any latch up type things. There's also dose rate upset, just like single event upset. And, you know, we've tested all of that. Uh, I know the commercial side of your business is always super strong. Um, you know, I think you have a pretty healthy uh, record on shipment of parts. You, how many have you shipped commercially? 
Uh, well, commercially, I, I think you know it's it's that's the vast majority of the business. But into the commercial market, probably at least a hundred million ships, and then twenty-five to I think we've shipped close to one hundred and fifty million ships total in our history, and probably twenty-five to fifty is into industrial, medical, and now we're starting to do a little bit in the automotive space, but we really haven't shipped anything into that. But industrial, medical. Those markets are really good for triad. Where all the volume is is a commercial market, you know, consumer market. Predominantly virtual reality um, is where we've been a player. The margin pressure is tremendous there. When you ship that many chips, you have to sell them for not very much money. <laughs> um, it's interesting. The uh, you talk about the automotive, obviously. You know, Spirit is here in Phoenix, Arizona, and there's a lot of EV market here. So we're catching that some. So I can imagine you would be a big player in that. Well, it's it's an interesting market. I mean, um, in some ways, automotive is more stringent from a qualification point of view, at least from my perspective, than aerospace and defense, just because the liability is so tremendous, especially with everybody, like you say, electric vehicles is one thing, but autonomous vehicles is a whole nother kettle of fish. I mean, it's crazy how robust everything has to be and it, yeah. For sure, yeah. The the EV side. I mean, uh, if you did a, if you and I both know that doing an automotive qual versus a, a mill standard 83 qual, automotive there are no failures, right? We have you know a couple failures are allowed, right? We won't give out all of those little details, but uh, I mean at the end of the day, automotive uh, they've dialed it in and and can reproduce the same part in hundreds of thousands of parts over and over and without any fail. So yeah, I agree with you there. So um, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the current state of uh, your ASICs and uh, how always the via configurable array is slightly different than uh, another ASIC type in the market. Let's talk a little bit about how that, you know, advantage is uh, key because now let's just assume that the next qual is, is coming or done, but you know, you have the, you have the structure and, and the baseline uh, foundation to build on, right? Yeah, and I think one comment I would make related to what we've pre already done, there's a lot of customers that really don't care about QML, right? You know, they're, in fact, they're saying, well, it's great if your company's QML certified. So what we've already done has tremendous value for a big percentage of the customer base. Uh, you know, what you were asking about what we perceive as our advantage in the market, because what we do is array-based, it's a little bit like an FPGA in that once you get an FPGA qualified, then you can program it to do whatever you want with it. It's still qualified. The same concept applies to our analog mixed signal arrays. We don't allow it to be programmed in the field. The only way the chip can be programmed or configured is by changing a single layer. Initially, I think there was some, some skepticism whether or not that would have a negative impact on qualification. In other words, well, shouldn't you have to requalify it if you're actually changing a single layer? But we're changing what's called a via layer in the stack of metal layers on the chip. And those all reside above, looking at a chip from a side view vertically, they all reside above all of the actual active circuitry. So they really don't have an effect on transistors and that sort of thing. It's just connecting them. 
and this via layer isn't even really a metal layer. It's a layer in between two metal layers. And so that's how we actually configure or program one of our arrays as we change a single via layer. Now, this concept is not terribly new. We developed it in 2002. Sandia National Labs licensed this technology from Triad Semiconductor in 2003, and they've been using it ever since. They continue to pay us a license fee annually. Now, they only use it for digital circuits, but the reason that they like it is because they're only changing a via layer to change their digital chips, and they don't have to go through and requalify. So what that means to the customer, if we're doing a full custom ASIC for them, but we're doing it on that rad hard array, if the array has already been qualified, they don't have to go through the qualification process. And Marty, as you well know, that's what costs so much money and takes so much time. And so that, from our point of view, really is something to offer the community. And even if we're a standard product customer, you know, we've got a couple of standard products that we've developed on our Rad Heart Array. If we have a customer that takes that, they play with it, they say, this is pretty close, but I would like to tweak something, we can change it. With just a via layer, still qualified, everything's cool. So it just saves a lot of time and money. And Radhard ASICs, full custom ASICs, especially analog, if you're going to start from scratch and do one, it's going to take a long time and a lot of money. You know, so this can be, this really means uh, custom ASIC, analog, mixed signal ASICs for a fraction of what the industry is used to. So Jim, the, uh, I, I love the explanation, right? Because really what we're facing right now is, as we talked about earlier in the podcast, is, is beam time and MBA is managing that, trying to help everybody get beam time, but it's absolutely crucial. And then secondly, what I know everyone in, in any segment of the supply chain is feeling is the, is the delivery crunch, right? So this is where I feel that you know, you have a great advantage, uh, custom ASICs, especially rad hard, really have a, a position in the supply chain because if you have to wait, you know, 140 weeks or product, I, I don't know about you, but for me, I can't plan anything. So this to me is a supply chain solution, especially for the rad hard and like you said, munitions and, and uh, satellite industry, whatever, product line. I think you earlier mentioned just off the cuff that, you know, you've got ADCs, you've got DACs, but you're very heavy on the analog side and signal, which is very unique, right? Just about anybody. I'm not sure it's changing it, but everybody can kind of do digital, but it's really the key of analog that's, that really sets you apart. Uh, and then having the rad hard, let's call it base, you have all the answers. Yeah. Like I said earlier, like we really have something to offer the community. Being able to get basically all the functionality of an analog ASIC on this array really helps these guys a lot that have been struggling with what they should do. You know, they're building up products with discrete components. And I know that's what your business is, is supplying a lot of those discrete components. And a lot of times that's all they need. Um, but if they've got to get to that higher level of integration, you know, to reduce size, weight, and power, you know, sometimes an ASIC is the only way to go. You know, we didn't really talk about, um, you mentioned supply chain, but an advantage of the array-based approach with this single via layer, we can, with the foundry 
we can actually stage the wafers at that layer. So they're just sitting there waiting for a new VIA layer. And that new VIA layer can be anything, any product. We throw that VIA layer in and, run, and finish the wafers out. And, and since this VIA layer resides in the metal stack, that runs through what normally would take a fab, even if you were already in process, it's going to take, you know, to, to run a whole chip, it's going to take 12 to 16 weeks, but that metal stack might take a week. So we can turn silicon around just very quickly. Which is pretty phenomenal, right? So then where you and I collide is, you know, we're, we're super at test and, uh, you know, assembly, screen qual, that kind of thing. So really it's a collaborative effort. I appreciate that, that you handled the heavy lifting. Well, Jim, thank you so much. Uh, I think we have a follow-up one here in a couple of months talking about foundry and, and options there uh, as you and I kind of move that conversation forward. So thank you so much for today. I know it's a Monday and um, hopefully, uh, you know, we'll, we'll continue to support the triad efforts on ASICs and, and keep that conversation going. So I yep. appreciate you being on our podcast behind the screen. Thanks for listening with Spirit this week. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast to let us know what you want to hear about in aerospace and defense. You can find out more about Spirit's value-added services and product lines at spiritelectronics.com.